the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart White here, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Rain was in the forecast last weekend when CU took the field against Oregon State, but like the rain, the Buff offense failed to materialize in a 42-9 whitewashing by the Beavers. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will start with a recap of the lopsided loss in Corvallis, including a discussion on who should be the CU starting quarterback for the remainder of the season. Interim head coach Mike Sanford previously stated that Owen McCown was his quarterback and would be the starter when he returned from injury. But has JT Shrout earned the right for a home start after three road starts? Or, from a more practical standpoint, would it be better to sit McCown both to preserve his redshirt year and to protect his slight body from the impacts he will take against Arizona State and the formidable defenses he will play in November. We will then present our tips for the Arizona State game. The Sun Devils are 2-5 on the season, fresh off of a disappointing 15-14 loss on the road against Stanford. So, can the Buff offense finally get past the 20-point mark facing an ASU defense which is ranked 98th in the country in total yards allowed? Can the CU defense finally make a statement playing against an Arizona State offense ranked 99th nationally? Can the Buffs get enough healthy running backs on the field so they're not handing the ball off to a converted freshman walk-on defensive back like they did against Oregon State? Can the Buffs find a way on homecoming to post victory number two, playing a game which might represent the last best chance at a win this season. Let's find out. Okay, and we're back and joined by Brad Highlands Ranch Geiger. Looking snazzy this evening. How's Brad doing? Brad's doing well. It's been kind of a one of those days, but uh, glad to be sitting here and uh, talking to you guys. The topic's a little bit challenging, but we'll move on from there. <laughs> also joining us is Neil Langland. How are things in downtown Denver? Well, other than the dark cloud of gloom that has been hanging over the cities, everything's fine here. <laughs> okay. Well, as we are want to do, this will be our review preview 
reviewing Oregon State and previewing Arizona State. I don't think we want to dwell too much on Oregon State, but I think we'll end up talking about it anyway. 42 to 9 was the final. It was only 21 to 3 at halftime, which is only in air quotes. It sounds like the Buffs were still in the game, but considering that Colorado hasn't scored over 20 points in a game this season, 21 to 3 is pretty much insurmountable. But then, of course, two touchdowns in the first couple of minutes made it 35 to 3 and made the last 25 minutes basically a glorified scrimmage. 472 total yards to 290 for the Buffs. Most of that in the second half, it was 100 total yards at halftime. Buffs were 2 of 11 on third downs, 84 yards rushing, four turnovers, including two in the red zone and one that was a pick six. So, Brad, how was your Saturday evening watching the University of Colorado play in Corvallis? A grueling. <laughs> Sadly, we had kind of hoped for bad weather to keep the score down. Um, this was truly a team effort loss. Quarterbacks. JT Shrout is amazingly inconsistent and, fr- you know, frighteningly so. When he did find a receiver, the receiver seemed unable to hold on to it. As we feared, Oregon State was able to move the ball, if not at will, at least when necessary. And then just um, crucial turnovers. Um, this team, sure, they avoided perhaps the worst of the penalties, but their inability to obviously move the ball, but also to avoid major errors just continues to be galling. Okay. Well, Neil, the quarterback, JT Shrout, his third start of the season, all on the road, 13 for 29, passing for 206 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. And yet you were talking a little bit off air that you think that he deserves to have the start against Arizona State. So, let the Buff Nation know why the J.T. Shrouch is your quarterback of choice going forward. All right. I don't want to seem like a wimp here, but I'm going to qualify this by saying I have a sense that McCown has something special and he's got more quarterback presence. But Shrout, with the throws that he made on Saturday, the ones that were caught and the ones that were dropped, to me show – some significant talent in support of him having another start. I'll say that he is still a young quarterback and experienced given the time at Tennessee and here at CU doesn't have a lot of attempts. Most of his practice time, most of his time throwing the ball over the last two years has been in seven on seven and in half speed drills. He needs to get adjusted to game speed. Uh, I think his upside uh, at least at the present time, is higher than McCown's, just in terms of the throws that he can make. He just needs to learn to settle down and adjust to the pace of the game. And I have great respect for McCown. The other is an external thing to relative talent, which is behind our offensive line, and I'm not trying to be snarky here, but McCown took a couple of big, big hits, and he's slight of build. And my sense is that he's probably not going to recover immediately from his hip pointer, which is integral to the throwing process. And if compromised makes it much more difficult, I see no harm in giving Shroud another start and let McCown heal fully. 
And at that point, make a decision what you want to do. But um, a third reason would be, I'm not sure with this team mired in its current state is worth wasting a year of eligibility on a very promising player uh, like McCown. And it may be that the coach's best accomplishment this year is to get a reading on the talent in every position for the new coaching staff. And that is especially true of quarterback. Okay. Well, Brad, interim coach Mike Sanford previously said that McCown is the quarterback. So presumably if he is healthy to go, he would be the starter against Arizona State. Uh, Shrout did have his best game, even though he wasn't the starter at Folsom Fields, accounting for 17 of CU's 20 points against Cal in the overtime win. Are you in the Neil school of thought that Shrout deserves a home start or is as Mike Sanford said, the McCown's a starting quarterback, and if he's healthy and ready to go, then he's the starting quarterback. I think this is a legitimate discussion to have. I think McCown is the future of the program. I think he is clearly the better quarterback. He is, however, very young. He is very slight. I can see, first of all, as much as I complain about Trout, um, who the next time he puts any kind of touch on a pass will be the first. He has one speed, and that doesn't excuse the drops. I think it is possible that Shrout, there an argument could be made that Shrout should start the rest of the season because it only gets harder after this. And as much as I value experience, um, I think there is a danger in having a young quarterback face that kind of challenge. So while I understand Stanford's decision, he's trying to put on a show for his next job, wherever that's going to be. And he's got a better chance with McCown. If Shrout was to start the rest of the season, I wouldn't be tremendously disappointed. Not because I think he gives us the best chance to win, but because he gives us the best chance for the future. That said, if they decide to play McCown, I mean, let's be honest, Arizona State's probably our, probably, unquestionably our best chance at a win for the rest of the season. And if Finishing with two wins is vastly better than finishing with one. Then you start with McCown. I, you know, there's no good decisions here. With Lewis transferring as he should, these are the guys who will compete for this job. I think we already know what McCown can do, so I don't know that playing him more is going to help us. So I will leave this up for Stanford. I would expect that McCown will start because, again, there's no downside for Stanford in starting him. But if Shrout were to start the rest of the season, I don't see any major downside to that. The difference is not so dramatic that it's going to make a difference against Oregon. <laughs> no, just to the over-unders in Las Vegas who are wondering how high the, the score might go. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the running back situation. Jay Lee Stacks led the bus with 50 yards. The freshman walk-on Charlie Offerdahl had 29 yards against Oregon State. Alex Fontenot didn't get play. Anthony Hankerson got dinged up on the play, supposedly that he fumbled and then didn't come back. Deion Smith didn't play. Presumably, we're going to get some of those guys back, but uh, the running back room has been pretty banged up, injured, ineffective. Pick your, pick your adjective. Neil, what, uh, what are you looking for from the running backs against uh, – you know, Arizona State this weekend, considering that we even had a freshman walk-on defensive back 
have a carry against Oregon State? I'm going to recycle my argument about having this staff play a variety of guys just to see what they can do. And with respect to running backs in particular, uh, I think we know what Charlie Alfredall can do. I admire his moxie and he does get yards, but I think we need to limit his carries and give him the stacks. I really need to know. And I think the coaching staff now and for next year needs to know what he can do. He showed something. And if he can stay healthy, I think he should be one of the two or three backs in the rotation. Same applies to Hankerson. I think he needs to get more reps. And when, I'm, I'm sorry, the back that was injured against uh, well, the last yeah. game needs also to get some carries. Yeah, thank you, Brad. Uh, I think those three should be the ones getting the carries. No offense to the seniors, but that's the way it has to be, I think. Well, I don't think we have any seniors on the team, but as far as the running backs are concerned, but you've got some older running backs. Uh, Fontenot hasn't played much, you know, the last few weeks he's been injured. Deion Smith's been injured. I mean, we're looking at a running back room that last December would have been Jarek Broussard as the 2020 Offensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12, the 2019 leader in rushing, Alex Fontenot, fighting for the starting, and then maybe Deion Smith, the third down back with Jay Lee Stacks running on third and one. So, Brad, I mean, we have to take out like the Rolodex to see what's going on in the the running backs room. Um, are you of the same school of, of Neil, or should we try and figure out who's going to be the I mean, is that the goal here? Figure out who's going to be the leading rusher in 2023 and just give everybody eight carries and see what happens? Okay. The argument against running back by committee, and we are running back by a Politburo at this point. There's a cast of thousands wandering in and out at this point, is that you don't give anybody the chance to get ready. One of the things we learned last year when we had Roussard is that he did better when he had time. You keep feeding the hot hand. There are no hot hands. Nobody is elusive. Nobody is making people block, make people miss. And with this offensive line, sometimes you got to make three people miss. And that, that guy is not in our running back room. If you are looking at against at this week against a team that we might have a chance to beat, I think there's a value in playing Offerdahl and Hankerson because they seem to be our best people right now. And I think that's what's going to happen and stacks, but I don't know that that's going to be successful because none of those guys are good enough right now. They're fine. You don't mind how they run, but it, to be a north-south running team, you have to be a team that gives holes to get north and south. We haven't seen those. And so, yeah, it's nice to have guys who will – they're not breaking tackles, but they're at least hitting them. They're not going backwards. So my guess would be is that we're going to try to have a much more straightforward running game where we're trying to grind out three or four yards. And so, heck, I mean, there's nobody that should run laterally on this on this team. If, if you're outside the tackle box, you're in the wrong dang place. Um, we, we don't have that kind of speed. So, you know, yeah, I guess if we're going to be a grinded out three yards in a cloud of dust kind of group, you know, the stacks offered all of the right guys. But I, I agree with Neil. That's not figuring out who our best players are. Okay. Well, before we leave Oregon State, I just have just a couple of gripes 
that I want to get out there. First, to give a shout out to Dante Capolongo. Probably didn't say his name right, but from Littleton, who was the freshman walk-on defensive back who got a carry against Oregon State. It was one carry for minus two yards. And while I'm giving him a shout out for actually getting a carry and changing positions, I'm going to give a shout to the coaching staff. His carry was on first and goal at the nine-yard line. When you're trying to actually score some points and have an offense that is in the 120s in scoring, and you might want to give your team a little bit of a boost by actually scoring some points, doing an outside rushing play with on first and goal, and of course that possession ended up with an interception in the end zone and no points, that you might want to do something other than give it to a freshman defensive back to try to carry the ball to the end zone. We'll leave that. I'll just let that one go. That uh, Oh, well, the, the last gripe. One more. Hey, why not? The going for two points after getting the, the one touchdown well, it was 35 to three. To me. I understand the math. If you make it 35 to 11, it's a three score game. You could get three more touchdowns and three more two point conversions to tie the game. But you're talking about a team that hasn't scored 20 points this season. You're not going to score three more touchdowns in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game. Kick the extra point, get it to 35-10, at least get to double digits for crying out loud. I mean, uh, to go for two, again, I understand how the math works, how the, the analytics work, but 42 to nine, I don't know, just doesn't sit well with me, even if 42 to 10 would have been better. But anyway, we need to move on from the Oregon State game because who wants to talk about 42 to nine when we can talk about Arizona State. And again, we're gonna do our tips, talent, intangibles, preparation and stats. Brad, I think I'm gonna start with you on the talent part because we've got an impressive young man that you might know something more about than the rest of us. And I'm talking about, I don't know how to say his name, but Xavier Valade is, and I didn't know this, the FBS career-leading rusher as we speak, having almost 4,000 rushing yards in his career, and I'd never heard of him. So um, can you tell us why, Brad? Do you have any family connections that might lead us to believe or understand why it is that Mr. Valaday has almost 4,000 career rushing yards, leads the FBS in active career totals, and yet we've never heard of him. Well, because most of those were run up against the Mountain West when Mr. Valaday was wearing the brown and gold of the Wyoming Cowboys. Yeah. Um, who is a, uh, who I don't know if we've mentioned it on this podcast before. I married into a family of Wyoming Cowboys who are, nearly equally fanatic about their football as we are about CU. And so, no, this kid is a talented running back. There's no doubt about that. I have been forced to watch him at Wyoming before he transferred. Um, he is not particularly elusive on the outside, but in the middle, you know, that ability to get through the first line and then make a linebacker miss, he has that. He's got good, if not elite, speed, pretty good vision. He can, like I said, he can make a linebacker miss and make a safety fall down. He's a uh, he's a solid ball player, and he's going to be a real 
pressure against our defense. Um, he is the workhorse for that team and should be. He had 85 yards in a, what was a terrible game at Arizona State played against Stanford. And an argument could be made he should have had more. So he's he's a good ball player, somebody I'd watched a great deal. And uh, somebody I was not surprised was able to find a way in the portal to uh, move up a bit in class. Okay. Well, Neil, the uh, running backs from Wyoming, the quarterback, Emory Jones, is a transfer from Florida. And, of course, this is the Herm Edwards effect of bringing in a bunch of transfers. The leading receiver is Elijah Badger, who has 490 yards and four touchdowns and almost had the, the what would have been the winning reception with the last, in the last 16 seconds against Stanford. Still had his first 100-yard game of the season. I mean, a 39-yard touchdown against Stanford. Anything about the offense for Arizona State that uh, scares you at all, other than Mr. Valaday? You know, overall, they're somewhat better than CU. Their national rankings, they're 99 in total offense. I'm sorry to get ahead on stats here, but they're, you know, the lower tier overall in offense and various parameters there. So they have some skilled players. I'm not sure that their offensive line is all that good. Um, they do have a decent receiver, but they seem pretty ordinary um, at best on offense. Okay. Well, and pretty ordinary, Brad, on defense as well. They're 99th in offense and 96th on defense. Of course, these are dream stats for the University of Colorado, but compared to the rest of the planet, pretty average team. Nothing really stands out about this squad. No, I mean, they managed to hold Stanford without a touchdown last week and still lost on five, count them, five field goals. It, it's they're strange. They were, of course, able to score 45 points and beat Washington. Um, but that looks like just the most an amazing uh, fluke for them. They haven't been able to score. They look it looked like they would play Oklahoma State close. That game wasn't as close as it looked. Um, they then lost to Eastern Michigan. They were never in it against Utah. Again, the losing 20, 42 to 25 against USC. That game wasn't that close either. These are, this is a, this is a below average team. They are not particularly talented, particularly on the defense. They don't have a lot of playmakers there. I agree with Neil. There's nothing about their offensive line that makes you concerned. Um, and their passing game is fine. Yeah, they are just, they are not even just another team. They are somewhat worse than just another team. <laughs> okay. So Neil, if we can move on to intangibles, either you can go with either the CU intangibles or the ASU intangibles. But I think when you've got a one and six team against a two and five team, you're butting up against are they do they still want to play for on both sides of the ball, wouldn't you think? Or does either side in your in your view have uh, some intangibles going for them in this game or going against them in this game? I'm just going to take a guess that with the uh, overhang of all of the other events at ASU, NCAA investigation and all of that, um, that the players there are pulling pages off the calendar as quickly as they can. That said, I think CU with homecoming, 
still some scent of their win against Cal in the air that maybe um, CU will have that extra bit of emotional motivation that'll get them to play at or above their ability again um, and maybe count on some errors from ASU. I think the intangible swing for CU. I think the, the mood here, from what I can read about both teams, seems to be better here. There's more to play for here at CU at home on homecoming than for ASU. Just another road trip for them. Well, um, yeah, back-to-back road games. Brad, so, you know, locker room A, a team that coming off a bye week had a chance to win, and I don't know if you saw the very end of it, but, you know, down 15 to 14, 43-yard line of Stanford. Obviously, can't try a 60-yard field goal. So they got to go for it on fourth and 19 with 16 seconds left. Emory Jones throws the ball. And for some reason, the Stanford secondary decides that they don't have to cover anybody. (laughs) And the receiver, you know, Elijah Badger catches the ball at the one-yard line with, you know, eight seconds to go. So all Arizona State would have to do is just trot on, kick an extra point as a field goal and win 17 to 15. But the replay showed that he was just, a couple of inches out of bounds, clearly out of bounds, but only by a couple of inches. Which is worse, getting mauled 42 to 9 or coming within a couple inches of a victory? Which do you think would be the, the harder psychological effect on these young 19 to 22-year-olds? I think getting losing in the last essentially having the game in your hand and losing it in the last second and then having to go home and fly again is the hardest part i think either one of those losses is hard and you know we don't know what's going on in the cu locker room at all but for arizona state who had some thoughts that they could be you know better after that washington game play as badly as they played to lose by not executing on the last play and then to fly home and then fly out again. I think that gives CU a slight advantage. Okay. Well, Neil, you know, talking about, you know, playing back-to-back road games, I think what gets me about Arizona state is that yes, they're two and five, they're one and three enter their interim coach. Uh, they were one and two, of course, under Herm Edwards before they got to, uh, he got dismissed after losing to Eastern Michigan. Um, but, the, you know, they've played ranked teams. They've already played Utah. They played USC. They played Washington and beat them as a ranked team. They were supposedly, you know, even though they were two and four coming off the bye, they had a reason to believe that they could make a bowl if they played as well as they did against Washington because they were coming against Stanford, which before they beat Notre Dame was – uh, not, nothing to write home about. And of course, in Colorado, that's an easy win. That gets you to four wins. Arizona, to figure they want to beat them again. Now you only have to find one more win in the other three games to get to six and six. Lost to Stanford, though, leaves you two and five and having to go four and one the rest of the way just to get to bowl eligibility. CU players are, you know, the ship on bowl eligibility pretty much sailed after, you know, the first quarter of the Air Force game. I mean, it's been, you know, a distant dream for CU for a long, long time. In terms of scheduling, 
you know, Arizona State's got to go home and play UCLA next week. We're playing <laughs> Oregon uh, <laughs> at home. So obviously CU's not looking past anybody, but is Arizona State, because of their schedule and the way things that looked going into their bye week after the Washington win versus how they look now, do you agree with Brad that that gives uh, the bus an advantage, uh, at least psychologically in terms of the, the schedule going into uh, homecoming in Boulder? Absolutely. I think Brad hit the nail right on the head. And I just pulled up ASU schedule remaining. And after CU, they entertain UCLA, who I think is going to be looking to reestablish some cred. Then they go up to Washington State, a tough place to play against a what I describe as a salty team. Um, two losses there. Oregon State comes to um, ASU, another loss. And then they've got the, what is it, the rivalry game with Arizona. That could be a toss-up game, but I'm going to – that's going to go probably – I'm going to say Arizona probably has more to play for at that point. So I, I think the ASU guys are looking at this going, God, when is this going to end? Okay. So, Brad, I was having them thinking that they were, uh, you know, four or five days ago right before the Stanford game that they were – coming off of a big win against the ranked team and thinking about bowl eligibility, but Neil has them kind of already packing it in for the season. Which uh, which Arizona State, I mean, you say that they might be certainly down going on the road for the second week after losing the close game, but they also held Stanford without a touchdown, which is pretty good if you're a you know defensive coach. Mm-hmm. And they had a 100-yard rusher or a 100-yard receiver, didn't have the 100-yard rusher, but they've got uh, Valaday, which is on a pace to a thousand yard rushing, and he's got to be licking his chops to be playing in Boulder. Colorado, meanwhile, looked like the Carl Durrell buffs of three weeks ago. They certainly don't, you know, they keep talking about having the joy in the locker room, and Mike Sanford keeps talking about guys were fighting and continuing to find some fun in football, even in the fourth quarter. And the, hu- the huddle offensively as we move the ball. Of course, they were moving the ball against backups. I was really proud of how the offense continued to respond. We just got to take care of the football. Obviously, the outcome and the score of the game would have been drastically different. So, Mike Sanford's preaching to the choir. Do you think anybody's uh, in the same book in the hymnal in the locker room in the Champion Center? You know, this is hard so hard to tell from the outside it didn't look like a joyous team that we were watching on the field Um, i'm glad sanford's seeing it i'm glad that he's enjoying himself or at least appears to be like i said i prefer his losing enthusiasm over Darrell's losing stoicism Um, (laughs) because those are our choices no i just you know CU lost its expectations earlier, and so perhaps is less pressure. I didn't watch the Arizona State-Washington game. I was quite surprised by the results there. But that team that played against Stanford didn't look like they gave a dang about doing much anything, particularly the offense. They were one for one in red zone offense. 
If you spend an entire game and can't get inside the red zone more than once, heck, see, you can do that. We can't do anything once we get there. <laughs> can't score once you're but, there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we're at least visiting. <laughs> and, you know, Stanford didn't score touchdowns in part because Stanford messed up on their own in the red zone. So, you know, again, yes, they, they had a bit of enthusiasm, but they didn't bring it with them. I thought CU played with some enthusiasm in the first half against Oregon State. I mean, they eventually got worn down. You didn't see any of that from Arizona State. So um, certainly there is a chance to walk out there on Saturday and the team that scores first has all the energy and the other team quits. And that may exactly be where it comes down to. But I'm certainly a long way from convinced that the Arizona State players are playing for a bowl game right now. Okay. Well, not exactly on the radar of the world, even though it's going to be on ESPNU rather than the Pac-12 networks. The Buffs get a break from uh, their home network, but 11-point home underdog, which is sad to say as small of a, a line as the Buffs are going to see the rest of the season. I mean, if we were 23-point underdogs to Oregon State, I don't even want to think about the line for the Oregon game or the USC game on the road on a Friday night. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We don't want to look past the important homecoming game against Arizona State. Now, both of you seem to be thinking that Arizona State's on another down a downward spiral compared to where they were at. They're looking for a new coach. They are not likely at this stage to qualify for a bowl game, and they're going on the road for the second week in a row. So, Neil, I'll start with you and get your prediction for the game. Is this a a low-scoring game where the Buffs beat the spread because Arizona State can't score, or is this the chance for victory number two for Colorado with a second double-digit underdog victory? I think uh, C was like a 14-point underdog to Cal and came away with the 20 to 13 overtime win. How do you see the the game playing out 5:30 Mountain Time ESPNU? Well, um I think 13 might be a little generous, it might be a little closer than that. Um there's so many unknowns with CU in terms of who's going to play where and what and how well. I am still how should I say um not sanguine about CU's chances. So you're taking Arizona State and giving the 11 points? I'm afraid I am, yeah. And I was trying to decide with that pause whether to go over or under. But okay. I think under is probably the, the better way to go. Okay. What's what's the, what's the score going to be like? Low scoring? Or do you think that they'll bust it out? Okay. Yeah, sorry that you had to tease this out of me. Um, I, I just don't have a good feel for it. So I'll say ASU 27, CU 12. Okay. Or 13, make it 13. <laughs> give, them, give them two field goals and maybe an extra point after a touchdown instead of going for two. Or <laughs> Not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> no, or maybe three field goals and two safeties. You know, we'll just see what we can get. So, Brad, optimism, hope, again, the last best chance for CU to get a victory in 2022. 
Don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Don't know who the running back's going to be. Don't know if the right receiver can hang on to the football. Uh, and yet, CU at least has a puncher's chance in this one. So is this the, the last chance to call for an upset in 2022? You're going to go with your buffs? No. <laughs> and I say that sadly. I think the line's too big. I think the line at uh, 13 and a half. I think CU can keep this close. There's no doubt that we are that with a couple of turnovers, with a better home crowd and some energy, with just a few fewer dropped passes, that CU could win this game. But it ain't the way to bet. I think this looks to me more like a game where CU wears out towards the end and starts giving up more rushing plays. The next time we stop a rushing attack, then I'll believe we can stop a rushing attack. But till then, I think this is a game where Arizona State pulls away in the third and fourth quarter, and it looks something like 24-13. Okay. Well, that's probably in line with uh, what the two teams have come up with, Colorado still looking for its first 21-point game of the season. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough to give CU credit for scoring points until they can show that they can actually score points. And it's just hard to, to watch this team, but at least there will be interest. There will be a good crowd for homecoming. The weather would be good, will be good. So... The stars are aligned for another upset victory, but it's really hard to to pick that happening based upon what we've seen from you know these buffs that if they've reverted to the Carl Durrell buffs in the first five games, this is just the first of the last five games that are going to be hard to watch and unfortunately for us, hard to talk about. But we're here. Buff Nation is not going anywhere, and um, they'll have twice as many people as they had at the Stanford game. That I saw the attendance was right around 25,000, so right about 50% of Stanford Stadium was filled. So if nothing else, it'll be louder than what Arizona State saw last weekend. So I guess we'll just have to leave it at that. So thank you, gentlemen. We will talk again next week. Go Buffs. Go Buffs. Thanks for listening. And based upon CU's performance this fall, you know, I mean that sincerely. As a note for any first-time listeners, we are here weekly with our preview review podcasts being posted on Tuesdays throughout the season, with my written tips being posted on Wednesday morning at the CU at the Game website. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of their podcast network. As before, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad as we review the Arizona State game and preview the Buffs' massacre in the making against Oregon. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs!
Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.